Very cool. Glad to have you with us this morning. And if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And, and we're just going to kind of continue on a roll that we've been on over the last uh, couple of weeks of starting a brand new series last weekend and continuing it here probably for the next month, month and a half or so. Last weekend, a lot of people took a stand for Jesus. I mean, in every single service, People did something that's absolutely countercultural. I mean, nowhere else in our culture do you have a moment where you have to summon the courage to step out of your seat and walk an aisle and come and shake hands with a stranger and then go to another room and meet people who you've never met before and talk about a decision that you just made. I mean, that takes a boatload of courage for people to kind of to rally together in those moments. But the reason they did it was simple. They were standing up for the God who stood up for them. They were responding to what it was that he did. And I'm still a little speechless about how God moved in people's lives because I understand how crazy it is to just take a stand in in any situation. I mean, if you're a single person, you're not married yet, and you're taking a stand for your purity, that's a big stance. That's a big deal. If, If you're taking a stand in culture because you're trying to correct an injustice, that takes a lot of courage. If you're taking a stand ethically at your office... Because somebody's doing something that's just not right and you're the one that's going to stand up and say, look, I just want to do the right thing. That's a really, really big deal. Or maybe some of you are here and you're one of those heroes who's standing up for somebody who can't stand up for themselves. I mean, that is a big, big deal in your life. Last week I shared about how my, little, or my big sister stood up for her little brother in dealing with a bully I, I, I talked about how, you know, I wasn't crazy about the way she interjected herself into my life, but that as the recipient of somebody standing up for me, that that was a really, really big deal. And then I shared about a part of my own story, how I would stand up for God one day and then sit right back down. And then I'd stand up for God again, and then I'd wander away. And then I'd stand up for God again. This is going to be it. I'm, I'm sticking with it this time. And then in spite of my best intentions, I'd kind of drift off in a bit of a different direction and You know, that that was just kind of a part of my story. What kept drawing me back over and over again was the simple fact that God would stand up for me. Couldn't get away from it, couldn't deny it. We talked about this last week, that Jesus, Jesus stood up to my sin by living a perfect life. He stood up to the lies that I tell myself in my brain. He stood up to those lies with His truth. And that he stood up to the death that I deserved, that I, that I should have had, and he stood up to it once and for all, and he gave me in exchange eternal life, something I don't deserve, but what a beautiful, beautiful gift. With so many people taking a stand for Jesus, I've just been wondering, okay, how do you make that stick? If you were here about four weeks ago, we had a moment where, where, where we were just talking about being broken and being weak. And I invited people. Say, if you're just in one of those spots where you just, you just need a little help, I need you to stand up. And people gathered around and we prayed over people. Some of you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it was like, that, that terrifying moment. We have to hand over the keys of our life to God and let Him drive and guide. And then we had a moment. We sang a song, I'll stand. And spontaneously, in every single service, people just they couldn't sit down. They just stood up as a group. Well, we're going to try and continue that because I really believe God's been doing something and stirring something inside of our hearts. So how do we make those moments stick? How how do we equip people so they don't do what I did, which is stand up for God and sit right back down again. Stand up on Sunday, back down on Monday. 
What do we need inside of our lives? What are the essential things we need to know in order to live out God's purpose so that when, it's, when we actually stand, that we can get to that point where we can actually say in my life right now, I'm actually living in victory, being victorious. The Apostle Paul was a bully until he ran into Jesus. I mean, he killed and intimidated people, and then Jesus showed up and everything tra- changed. If you read your Bible, Paul was transformed from a bully into a pastor. And he pastored a little group of people in a town called Ephesus. And at the end of one of his letters, he sums up everything that he says with these words in Ephesians chapter 6. This is what he says. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me just give you some basic stuff, some simple truth from this passage, okay? Number one is our victory never comes from our own effort, but from God and God alone. Because I want you to notice something. When Paul's trying to wrap himself into this group of people who've taken a strong stand for God, he doesn't say, be strong in yourself, that doesn't work. When we think we are the most strong, God actually says, you need to be really careful with that. Because just when you think you've arrived, just when you think you're just spiritual enough, just when you think you're so holy that you can't trip up and fall, be really, really careful because you're probably going to go down. He says, be strong. Doesn't say be strong in yourself. He doesn't say suck it up, keep moving, drop and give me 20, or you better not give up. He doesn't say work harder, try harder. He doesn't say you need to get it together. No, he says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, which means this. You need to understand that your greatest feat of spiritual strength doesn't mean anything in the face of God's power. Now, that can be unbelievably disconcerting, but let me under, help you understand this. Here's the cool thing. When we are weak, God's strength is just starting to kick in. And here's the cool thing about God's strength. It's inexhaustible, and He loves to share. So you've got that at your disposal. Not your strength. I mean, my strength doesn't last till Monday morning. I mean, Monday, 10 a.m., that's the furthest my strength normally goes. For all of us, though, when we have God's strength there... That's why Paul says, don't be strong in yourself. You be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Secondly, that God has given us spiritual armor so that we can actually take a stand. I mean, did you notice what verse 11 says? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. So that you can stand up and not sit back down again. Okay, so here's the deal. Over the next three to four weeks, we're going to be studying the armor of God. Because I think that's what's going to keep you on your feet. That protection. So we're going to unpack it. We're going to take it apart piece by piece. We're going to take a look at it. And if nothing else comes out of this series, my hope and prayer is that you will develop a discipline every single morning before you dare get in your vehicle and drive out of your garage that you will never even think about going out of your house until you've got the armor of God on. Now, this is weird. It's weird because I actually do this, okay? As part of my getting ready regimen... I actually go through this piece by piece by piece. Okay, God, sticking on the breastplate of righteousness because it's going to protect my heart. All this stuff like that, I'm going to stick on the helmet of salvation because my brain is a dangerous thing left unchecked, okay? 
I'm going to put on the sandals that you got for me because I actually have to walk out into the world and share about Jesus. My hope and prayer is that every single morning you will develop the discipline to put on the armor of God because I don't think God told us that we had armor if he didn't intend for us to actually put it on, right? How crazy would it be? God gives you armor and you leave it sitting beside your bed every morning. I'm good, God. I think I'm great. Feeling pretty good today? A little confidence? You know, I'm going to take on the day, be all that I can be. I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. I mean, this is going to be awesome. Thanks for the offer of the armor. Not interested. Doesn't make sense, does it? God's given us this armor so that we can take a stand. Not going to take apart all the pieces. Let me just list them off for you. Okay, he gave us a belt of truth. That's what keeps us from tripping in our words and keeps us sharing God's truth and not just our version of the truth. Secondly, he gives us a breastplate of righteousness. That's what protects the core of who you are in Jesus. Thirdly, he gives us sandals of readiness. That's what allows you to walk out into the world and talk about Jesus. Then he gives you a shield of faith. That's what allows us to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy because that's spiritual opposition, and we're going to talk about that today. He gives us a helmet of salvation. That's what protects our minds and our wills and our decisions and our emotions and our purposes. He gives us a sword of the Spirit. That's the offensive weapon. Can't wait to preach that one, but I got to wait because if I start, I won't be able to stop. And finally, an incredible part of the armor that often people neglect at the end of the passage is the weapon of prayer. That's when we learn how to get on our knees and fight like warrior men, okay? Okay. Now, some of you are looking at that list and going, that's it? Seven pieces? There's a lot of exposed areas if I just put that stuff on in my brain. You know, some of you are looking at it going like, where's the force on that list? You know? What about Harry Potter's invisibility cloak? I mean, you know, is I don't even get x-ray vision? Really? Just seven pieces of armor, that's it? And here's what you need to know. With God Almighty Himself in your corner, those seven pieces are enough. They're enough. Okay? So stick with me as we walk through this. Here's another simple truth from this passage. The purpose of the weapons is so that we can take a stand against the enemy. I mean, God's given us this armor and these weapons because we're involved in a spiritual struggle. Now, don't get all weirded out and freaked out with regards to the word spiritual struggle, okay? Don't want anybody turning themselves into a spiritual commando, you know, Holy Spirit, SEAL Team 6, you know, that kind of stuff. You've met people like that, right? We're not doing that, okay? You know, I'm talking about a real struggle with a real adversary. Some of you found out firsthand just this past week, you gave your heart to Jesus and you, you experienced something that you've never experienced before. It's called spiritual opposition. And you learned an interesting lesson. You learned that every time you take a positive step, take a stand for God, that the enemy of your soul, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, he does not like that at all. So he mounts a counterattack. He tries to distract you, discourage you, dishearten you, devastate you. And his whole purpose is this. You stood up and he's trying to get you to sit back down. You made a decision for God. It's like, it was just emotion, man. You just got wrapped up in a moment, you know, and things kind of got all, you saw other people moving. It's like, there you go, walk. It's all good. Now sit back down. Just be a nice person. 
Don't listen to the guy at the front with the microphone. He doesn't know anything. Just go back to your normal way of life, doing what you've always done, and he just kind of lulls you back to sleep again. It's called spiritual opposition. The reality is we are involved in a supernatural struggle. The way some of you found out that you're in a supernatural struggle is because you encountered some spiritual opposition. I mean, has anybody else figured out that whenever you go in the direction of God, that the enemy does not like it and stuff just goes strange? Anybody else figured that out? You know? Now, let's be careful with this, okay? As soon as we start throwing around words like spiritual realm or supernatural, here's my experience. People just get weird. They just get weird. It's just strange, okay? So here's the rule for the series. No weirdness allowed, okay? Is that straight enough for you? No, no, we're not going to be weird. We're not going to do any crazy stuff. We're not going to over-spiritualize everything. We're not going to be hypersensitive. You know, we're not going to be visualizing demons on the stage of Christ the King. We're not even going there, okay? We're going to stay away from that because I believe that God has actually called us not to be weird. I think He's called us to be biblical, Okay? Now, biblical sometimes can be a little strange, but we're not going to be weird on purpose. So I had an opportunity this past week. On Wednesday, I'm sitting in a room, and we're celebrating what happened at Easter. I'm sitting there with Kim Ryan from North County, Christ the King. And Kim says, man, we had an awesome weekend, 2,800 people plus. I'm like, oh, praise God for that. That's cool. They're baptizing people. It's exciting. Pastor Bob is there from Cornwall. He goes, man, we had a great weekend. We celebrate that because it's a part of our family, Right? A win for another church that loves Jesus and preaches the Bible. That's a win for the entire family of God. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's, that's just good stuff, right? And we're sharing that. And, and so, you know, I come off of that meeting and I go into another meeting and I meet another pastor from the community. He had a great Easter. We're talking about how cool it is that every church in this county that loves Jesus and preaches the Bible, how we all have different roles. And we fill those roles. And, and you know, for some... For some, it's a place where, where unsafe people who are far from God can feel very, very comfortable and safe. And for other people, I mean, it's just different purposes. So I, as we're having this conversation, I asked him, I said, so what do you think is Christ the King's purpose? Because he's been in the county a long, long, long time, right? So what do you think is our purpose? This is what he said. He goes, I think you guys are there because you do a great job of making strange spiritual stuff normal. I like that. That's what we do, okay? So in that heart, we're not going to get weird. Because people just get weird when we talk about this stuff. In fact, I wrote it in your outline. Here's three common approaches to this supernatural struggle, okay? One approach is just flat-out denial. That's where people just say, nothing around us is connected to the supernatural. You know, this is the position of some people, but it's not the position of the Bible, Some people deny that there's any spiritual forces at all. I mean, just kind of what you see is what you get. Nothing more, nothing less. It's just kind of the way it is. And you know, the the world's broken and it hurt. And unless it's natural, natural, it doesn't exist. Now that is just depressing. Because has anybody noticed how messed up natural is? Just open up a newspaper, right? But some people just flat out denial. There's nothing spiritual going on at all. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. That's what we hear. Okay, so some people deny it. Here's a second common approach, and that's paranoia. And that's where people think that everything around us is connected to the supernatural. These are the people that see a demon behind every rock. Everything is connected somehow to the spiritual. 
Everything is somehow evil and it's out to get you and you should be freaking out right now. Every headache is spiritual warfare. Every bill in your mailbox is a demonic curse. Every movie is a diabolical plan by the enemy to overtake the minds of the children. Every move you make is being monitored by little black helicopters that are run by a secret society of Canadians that are plotting (laughs) to take over the entire world. You know, every weight loss idea is a plan to steal your strength. And Harry Potter's the Antichrist and Grant's the false prophet and Y2K was true and we're doomed. Here's what's scary about what I just say. If you Google any of that, you'll actually find people who believe that. All of it. And they're paranoid. Now, here's the problem with paranoia. It's not biblical. Let me tell you why. See, paranoia results in fear. Fear is a tool of the enemy. Because the Bible says perfect love, which Jesus was Cast out all fear. So if any of this stuff results in fear in your life, that is not from Jesus. Okay? So if we can't deny and we can't be paranoid, what's another approach? Well, the Bible teaches that when it comes to the supernatural world, you can actually have an approach that's balanced, okay? And the balance goes like this. The spiritual realm and the natural realm, they both belong to God, and they're all under His power and under His control. So He's got it, he's got it covered. You know, the reality is this, not every headache you get is the result of spiritual warfare. I mean, some of you have a headache because you haven't slept in 24 hours and you live on Mountain Dew and Doritos. I mean, it's not spiritual warfare, it's go home, drink a bottle of water and take a nap, you'll be fine, okay? But some people, it's just like, it's an attack. It's not an attack, maybe of sugar, you know? or an absence of sugar. I mean, it could be something like that, but it's not always that way. Now, the reality is there's a corresponding balance to that, which is the truth. Sometimes the enemy targets believers to try and discourage you and make you believe that God doesn't care. But do you see the balance between the two of those? Not all of those fall in this category, and not all of them fall in the other category. Not every movie or book is a satanic plot, but the reality is some of them are plain evil, And as a follower of Jesus, we're supposed to pick light and not darkness. You know, I remember growing up, I was banned from seeing the movie Star Wars because the force was a plot. How many of you were were there? Some of you, okay. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, right? But I remember my parents saying, no, 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 Grant, that force, that's the way the new age is going to get inside of your mind and overtake your brain. I thought it was about little cool action figures and lightsabers. I mean, I was having fun with that, right? Okay, so not every movie or book's a satanic plot, but some of them are just evil, and you're supposed to pick light, not darkness. You know, bills aren't demonic. With all deference to my prosperity gospel brothers and sisters, you know, if, if they are demonic, I opened up a box full of demons yesterday morning at 11 o'clock in Captain Bay Court in Linden, so don't, you know, don't freak out. If you had a bad day, it's my fault, Okay. I unleashed, you know, the spiritual forces. And the reality is that they're not demonic. In fact, they're a part of life. And the balanced approach that I'm supposed to have is if I incurred them, I'm supposed to pay them. And that's a good representation as a child of God as to how I'm supposed to deal with that stuff. The only part of my little rant is the Canadian brotherhood part. 
because we are slowly taking over. <laughs> Everything. And if you don't believe me, look how many Canadians we've hired in the past six months. We've got your Costco, now we're coming for your church. Okay, so anyways, all right. I'm kidding, all right? You know, the reality is everything at times can seem like it's against us, right? So just so we're clear, I don't want to send the wrong message here. Christ the King Church, we believe in the supernatural. We do. We believe in demons and angels. We believe that Satan exists. I don't believe that he runs around in red underwear with a pencil black mustache, a bifurcated tail, and a pitchfork, okay? I don't believe in that, in that caricature of evil, but I believe in evil. And I believe Satan targets God's children to try and discourage and devastate us. I mean, I I have a hard time meeting with anybody who denies the existence of evil. Last week, I met a girl from our church who was raped on Good Friday. It's evil. I sit with children who've been abused by their parents. I meet with husbands and wives that treat each other like dirt. I meet people who, who shred other people in their office with gossip and slander and can't figure out why they won't come to church with them. Violence, unjust anger. I mean, the list just goes on and on. I don't know how anybody can deny the existence of evil without, I mean, just walk outside. And we have a couple of choices. When we see that evil, we can freak out, put our heads between our knees, hope that the end comes, rock back and forth, build a bomb shelter. I mean, we can do that stuff if we want to. Or while we're out there dealing with just the way the world works, we can understand this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. I mean, I grew up hearing it this way. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I mean, I'm not outnumbered. Me and Jesus, that's a majority in any place at any time And I'm supposed to be a representative of this, which means when I walk out there into that evil world, I do not need to be afraid. I do not need to be disheartened. I need to understand that God has placed His light inside of me, and my job is to shine as brightly as I can, because here's the cool thing about light and darkness. I have never walked into a dark room, turned on the light switch, had a light bulb come on. I have never seen the darkness win. I've never even seen the darkness put up a good scrap. I mean, I turn the light on, Poof! Darkness is gone. As the people of God, that's our responsibility. So we're not supposed to walk out there like, oh dear. There's a little black rain cloud. Must be a spiritual sign. I think I'll just stay home and watch Dr. Phil. You know? It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Everything out there belongs to my daddy. My heavenly father owns all that. None of that's out of his control. I don't always understand it, but that belongs to him. Let's wrap this up with an account from Scripture that just paints a beautiful picture of this. See, because Jesus died and rose again, he was victorious, and he wants us to live victorious as well. Old Testament story about victory. Let me read to you an account that happens in 2 Kings chapter 6. The Bible says this. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God 
a guy by the name of Elisha, we'll come to him in a second, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram, and he summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord and king, said one of the officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. That'll freak you out if you think about it. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report comes back. He's in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I love this story. Do you get the picture? So Aram and Israel are at war, and every time Aram decides that they're going to try and ambush Israel, God shows up and taps Elisha on the shoulder and says, hey, just so you know, the Arameans are going to be down there. The prophet goes and tells the king, the king's not stupid, so he's like, well, if the Arameans are down there, if they're going to be that way, we're going the other way. And it drives the king of Aram crazy. Because every time he sets up a plan, God comes and taps Elisha on the shoulder. He tells the king of Israel where they're going to be, and they just go a different direction. Drives him nuts. So the king of Aram is also not stupid, so he makes this incredible keen sight into the obvious. I need to kill that prophet. I got to get rid of that guy. He's driving me crazy. So he goes and finds out that Elisha is in Dothan, and he surrounds him. Early in the morning, apparently the prophet has an employee. And this guy's out early in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Why he would be up early in the morning, I have no idea. But apparently he's out doing something, washing down the mule. He's doing whatever he's doing. And when he stops to take a break, just for a second, his focus changes from whatever he's doing, and he stops, and he just kind of looks around, and he realizes they are completely encircled by the Aramean army. Just so you know, that's not good, okay? When you're completely surrounded by your enemy, that is not a good place to be in. And that's exactly where Elisha and his servant find himself. So he goes and wakes his boss up. I mean, can you just picture this drama in your head? He goes and wakes him up. See, Elisha proves to me that all godly people sleep in, okay? (laughs) Jesus wanted us to enjoy morning. He would have put it in the middle of the afternoon. That's my conviction, okay? So he goes and wakes up his boss, and Elisha walks out of the tent. I could just see him. He's rubbing his eyes. You know, trying to shake off. He's hit the snooze button four times already, you know, and he walks outside and he just looks around. Oh, wow, that's a lot of warriors right there. That's a lot of Arameans. They do not look happy. And then this is his statement. 
to his servant. Don't be afraid. <laughs> you guys are so holy and righteous. Like, I would have said that. Like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't think so. This is not a good situation. They're coming. They're going to kill us. I imagine the servant at that point going, don't be afraid. That's the best you've got? That's the best you've got. That's the corporate cry this morning. Don't be afraid. Are you kidding me? We're surrounded by the entire Aramean army, and they're angry at you because you keep messing up their war thing. I've been telling you, you need to shut that down. You need to sit down, Elisha. Like, just put a muzzle on. Stop talking to the king of Israel all the time. Look at these guys. They're just ticked. I love Elisha. Don't be afraid. And this is his explanation. Because this is what you don't understand. There's more with us than against us. You just can't see them. There's more with us than against us. And so he prays. God, would you open his eyes so that he can see what I can see right now? And it happens. God answers the prayer, opens the eyes of Elisha's servant, and he looks around and what he understands is this. The Aramean army is wrapped around and encircling them, but there's another angelic force. The army of heaven has them surrounded as well. I mean, if I was the servant in that moment, I would so start talking smack right there. Just like, yeah, you think you're so tough now. I can see what's really going on here. You guys have no idea. My army is on fire. You got your little sword and your little shield. Try fighting with fire. We're going to torch you. I just love this story. I mean, all of a sudden, he's not afraid. He's confident because he can see the reality of what's actually going on. When you are with God, you're very well taken care of. You're surrounded. You're protected. Does it mean it's going to be easy? Nope. Still got to deal with Arameans. But you don't have to deal with the Arameans. God's going to deal with the Arameans for you. See, this is what I love about Elisha. You only say, don't be afraid, when you know that you're going to be victorious. So when you know you're going to be victorious, it's like, yeah, we don't need to be afraid of this at all. You don't need to be afraid of Monday. You don't need to be afraid of Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Well, I got this thing going on at the office, Grant. Don't be afraid. There are more with you than against you. Yeah, but I got these two people in my office. They drive me nuts. You have more with you than against you. Live in that hope. So what do we need to know? Let's wrap this up. We need to know the spiritual struggle is real. It's real. You can deny it if you want to, but it's there. Secondly, we need to know that God's our strength. The same God who showed up to surround the Aramean army is waiting for you at that door. He's got you covered. You don't need to be afraid. Thirdly, we need to remember that God's our protection. And finally... We need to know that our eyes need to be open. I think we need to pray the same prayer that Elisha prayed over his servant. God, would you open the eyes of your people so that they can see there are more with them than against them. That's what allows us to be bold. See, when our eyes are really open, 
we're not wrapped in fear. We're full of confidence when our eyes are really open. In fact, here's a cool thing. We're only going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. If I, if I can encourage you to do something, go back and read the whole letter because it starts off in a great place and it ends even better. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prayed the same prayer for everybody that would read the letter of Ephesians that Elisha prayed for his servant. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So here's the deal. When you walk out of here today, it's not like, you know, somebody walks across the guide in front. It's like, it's a sign. This is going to be bad. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He can't touch you. He can try to discourage you, but he can't touch you. You don't belong to him. Okay? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and there are more for you than against you. And the ones that are for you, they're on fire. Both the human and the spiritual, hopefully, right? On fire, serving Jesus, and being salt and light in a world that's very dark and pretty much tasteless. Let's pray together this morning. God, as we begin to unwrap the armor, I pray that we would have the courage and the wisdom to actually put it on. Lord, help us not to neglect it, but Lord, I pray you would stir in our minds and our hearts tomorrow when we wake up, first things first, I got to get my armor on. Lord, help us not to deny or be paranoid. Lord, perfect love casts out all fear, so we are not afraid because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and there are more for us than against us. So, Lord, I pray this week as we enter into the world that we would not be freaked or scared or discouraged, but instead we would live a completely counterintuitive way that we would live our spiritual lives victorious. And we pray these things in the matchless and powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen and amen.